get it. Wednesday, July 10th, 2019. Born the Battle. Brought to you by the Department of Veterans Affairs. I am your host, Marine Corps veteran Tanner Iskra. Hope everyone out there had a good week outside of podcast land. I did. I saw the roof go on my house over last week. So that's some good news. Uh, we're closer and closer to start um, putting the loan into place. And I'll, and best believe me, I'll be looking back through my last benefits breakdown to for any last minute tips. So not uh, any direct feedback as per se, but I have noticed that there have been a, a couple more ratings that have come up through the system there in, uh, on iTunes. And we did get one review. This comes from ENHKG. I'm not even going to pretend to try to make that into a sound. Uh, this says, amazing podcast, very informational, and it's great to learn about the lives of veterans. We'll continue listening to it, and I recommend this to anyone. Well, thank you very much for ENHKG. Um, again, not going to make that into a sound. We look forward to bringing you more veterans. And, if, of course, if you have uh, an idea for a veteran on the show, you can always reach out to me at podcast at va.gov. Two news releases this week. The first one says, for immediate release. VA overhauls religious and spiritual symbols policies to protect religious liberty. The U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs recently revised its directives permitting religious literature, symbols, and displays at VA facilities to protect religious liberty for veterans and families while ensuring inclusivity and non-discrimination. The move aims to simplify and clarify the department's policies governing religious symbols and spiritual pastoral care, which have been interrupted inconsistently at various VA facilities in recent years, resulting in unfortunate incidents and that interrupted certain displays. So, effective July 3rd, these changes will help ensure that patrons within VA have access to religious literature and symbols at chapels as requested and protect representations of faith in publicly accessible displays at facilities throughout the department. Woo, wordy. All right. Uh, we have a uh, quote by the secretary, uh, but then it says, the new policies will allow the inclusion in appropriate circumstances of religious content in publicly accessible displays at VA facilities, allow patients and their guests to request and be provided religious literature, symbols, sacred texts during visits to VA chapels and during their treatment at VA, and allow VA to accept donations of religious literature, cards, and symbols at its facilities to distribute them to VA patrons under appropriate circumstances or to a patron who requests them. The U.S. Supreme Court recently affirmed the important role religion plays in the lives of many Americans and its consistency with constitutional principles. This includes the following values. A display that follows in the long-standing tradition of monuments, symbols, and practices, respect and tolerance of differing views, and endeavors to achieve inclusivity and non-discrimination. All right, and our second one, and it's a big one. It says, for immediate release, VA extends Agent Orange presumption to Blue Water Navy veterans. The U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs is preparing is preparing to process Agent Orange exposure claims for Blue Water Navy veterans who served offshore of the Republic of Vietnam between January 9, 1962 and May 7, 1975. These veterans may be eligible for presumption of herbicide exposure through Public Law 116-23, Blue Water Navy Vietnam Veterans Act of 2019, which was signed into law June 25, 2019, and goes into effect January 1, 2020. They may also qualify for a presumption of service connection if they have a disease that is recognized as being associated with herbicide exposure. The bipartisan Blue Water Navy Vietnam Veterans Act gives VA until January 1, 2020 to begin deciding Blue Water Navy-related claims. 
By stating claims decisions until that date, VA is complying with the law that Congress wrote and passed. And we have a quote from Secretary Wilkie. He said, VA is dedicated to ensuring all veterans receive benefits that they earned. We are working to ensure that we have the proper resources in place to meet the needs of our Blue Water Navy veteran community and minimize the impact on all veterans filing for disability compensation. Blue Water Navy veterans are encouraged to submit disability compensation claims for conditions presumed to be related to the Agent Orange exposure. Veterans over age 85 or with life-threatening illnesses will have priority in claims processing. Veterans who previously were denied for an Agent Orange-related presumptive condition can file a new claim based on the change in law. Eligible survivors of deceased Blue Water Navy veterans also may benefit from the new law and may file claims for benefits based on the veteran's service. The new law affects veterans who served on a vessel operating not more than 12 nautical miles seaward from the demarcation line of the waters of Vietnam and Cambodia, as defined in Public Law 116-23. An estimated 420,000 to 560,000 Vietnam-era veterans may be considered Blue Water Navy veterans. To qualify under the new law, these veterans must have a disease associated with herbicide exposure as listed in 38 Code of Federal Regulations, Section 30.309. Agent or presumptive conditions are, um, there's a bunch of them, but uh, some of them are Parkinson's disease, prostate cancer, some respiratory cancers, uh, a couple of different heart heart diseases, Hodgkin disease, uh, type of diabetes. There's, there's a bunch of them. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to put the news release and the additional links for the blog. And you can find that at blogs.va.gov. Just search for this episode of Born the Battle. There'll be a whole blog and there'll be a link that'll take you straight to that news release. For more information about Agent Orange exposure in Vietnam waters, Blue Water Navy veterans, visit www.va.gov forward slash disability forward slash eligibility forward slash hazardous hyphen materials hyphen exposure forward slash agent hyphen orange forward slash Vietnam hyphen waters. And I'll put that link as well in the blog at blogs.va.gov. Veterans seeking more information should contact their veterans service officer, or call VA's toll-free number at 1-800-827-1000 or visit the VA Blue Water Navy Agent Orange website. And I'll put the website again in the notes. All right, so this week's Born in the Battle is a pretty smart cat. Check this out. He's an Air Force veteran. His degrees include a master's degree in operations research and applied mathematical applications from George Mason and two bachelors, one for applied science, mathematics, statistics, and computer science from Wichita State, and a bachelor of science in music performance, theory, and composition from the University of Nebraska. In the Air Force, he was an analytical scientist. Um, We talked about what that was because I had no idea. After he got out, in addition to being a research programmer with RAND Corporation, he is also the CEO and founder of Epic Music LA which is a music licensing company. So with this interview, we sat down and we talked about all of that. He is Air Force veteran, super smart cat, Perry Fioris. Enjoy. You have a very interesting background. More and more, I looked at what what you've been doing um, outside of what I already knew you as as a CEO of of a, of a music licensing company. So, I saw before the Air Force, you received two bachelors from two different universities, University of Nebraska and Wichita State. Yeah, actually, so I the first college that I went to was uh, University of Nebraska and Lincoln there, and um, and then I en- ended up uh, transferring to Wichita. 
Kansas and I ended up getting a bachelor's of um, mathematics and then also uh, in uh, music, which, which, um, you know, would eventuate into many years later, uh, a big part of this, this, um, music company that, that I stood up. Mathematics. I mean, that's gotta be a hard degree. <laughs> I can only imagine a bachelor's in math and then, but also music theory. So they're obviously different, but they've got to be the same in some aspects. Yeah. It's interesting. Cause I've met other very analy- analytically minded people who have, uh, you know, had certain kinds of degrees, bachelor's or master's or PhDs in, uh, in um, math or science. And I was always surprised at how many of them also have um, an affinity for music and just talking with different people. It sounds like there's some kind of trend where, you know, math is based off of, I mean, music is based off of math. Of course, there's the music theory and the breakdown and the structure. I, I tend to run into people who, who have that dual interest and talent. So I, I think there's a, a pretty strong connection and it was for, for me as well because I, I was very analytically minded growing up you know i kind of did some accelerated math classes but then i was also classically trained on played the trombone i was in marching band symphonic band concert band played the violin uh played the piano even played the harp for a while and this this was all uh before high school and then in college i just stuck with the piano the harp that's that's not, that's not one you hear very much of that's not one you hear <laughs> yeah so music and analytical math kind of science uh those were the bends in me and uh ended up playing out well in my favor uh over the years okay so and before you joined the military i on your LinkedIn, it says you were a sales manager at exotica imports that sounds like a fun job that sounds like it were very expensive cars. <laughs> well, so remember earlier I said I come from a very business-oriented family. So, so my uh, dad, you know, is from um, India. He actually moved when he was in his twenties. Oh wow! My mom was from here and and um, from the U.S. and they got married, but they were. My dad, being from overseas, was very business-minded, and he ended up opening up several retail stores. Um, buying a lot of real estate, really just out there making it happen as, as a business entrepreneur. Oh, wow. And my mother was like that as well. And so me and my two brothers, when we grew up, you know, we were working in our family businesses, running them by the time we were 10, 12. Um, and so the, that the exotic imports that you're talking about was one of those retail stores that I worked in and managed and it was a family business. So that wasn't cars, that was uh, clothes? No, it, no. So how that started, man. actually. Oh, I mean, man, I was excited. When I, when I saw I was that, I was like, man, I bet he was driving Lamborghinis and Ferraris. Oh, man, that, that would have been great, though. <laughs> Working in a, exotic cars and being able to drive all those around, that, that would have been fun. No, it wasn't quite that exciting. It was um, my dad, actually, when he first started, he, he got a lot of import gifts from uh. India and overseas. And so it, it started out like that. And then we ended up just... Um, molding the store to to what people were wanting and different kind of merchandise okay. and, and so you know it was it, it was a gift story we had a lot of martial arts stuff knives swords okay still cool um, stuff a lot of posters and yeah just a lot of cool stuff. got you you became an analytical scientist in the air force um one what prompted you to serve two what is an analytical scientist 
<laughs> Good question. <laughs> uh, I didn't have really a strong military family. Um, my uncle was in the Navy, so I do remember having conversations with him and being um, interested in the military in general, but I didn't know much about it. Um, and as I said, uh, my main focus uh, in college was uh, focused more on math and science. And um, so that ended ended up being my degree. I mean, I was pre-med for a while and then I ended up switching. And so I think just starting out, it was more just trying to finish school and, and do something that I was interested in. And then sure. afterwards, um, it was just a series of a couple of events that fell in place uh, as far as why I ended up in the military. Of course, I knew from my uncle's side some some information and uh, had some interest in the military. But I was also trying to figure out what I wanted to do, whether I do a master's. I, I got in, um, invited into the computer science master's program there in Wichita. And then how the military happened is, it's, I mean, it's, it was pretty random, actually. I went to get a haircut at some haircut place in some shopping center, and there was a recruiting place right next door. And when I was leaving, uh, it's kind of a funny story, you know, the recruiter standing out there, I think he was from the army, smoking a cigarette, and he saw I was around the, the right age. And so uh, he started following me to my car. <laughs> And I saw him out of the corner of my eye and I was like, okay, I don't really want to talk to this guy. And um, so creepy. I, yeah, a little creepy, <laughs> very aggressive. And so I sped up, he sped up and he, he basically just kind of cut me off right when I was about to get in my car and gave me the whole spill on the military. And um, he wanted to come over to my apartment and kind of break it all down. But it, it caught me at the right time because I was, like I said, just finished my math degree and was trying to discern next steps. Um, sure. Whether I continue on in school for a master's or, you know, get some job experience, things like that. I went with it and learned about the Army. And that uh, got me interested uh, to look into the other branches. And so I looked into the Navy and was interested in some of their nuclear propulsion kind of science um, programs. So this Marine, you say all that, I'm like, mm, math stuff. <laughs> I, know. <laughs> I know. I mean, I just finished a degree, so my, my mind was full of all, all of that kind of sure. Tech uh, stuff. That's where you that's where you could help. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And so I checked out the Navy and the Air Force and um, decided once I looked into it that uh, Air Force looked like uh, it was more fitting for me. And then of course I found out about the officer side. So, you know, there was the enlisted uh, and then the officer. And since I had a bachelor's degree, that just made the most sense. And so I contacted the Air Force and went through all of the, the testing and, and uh, physical examinations and uh, everything fell in order and I passed. And uh, next thing I noticed, I was getting a letter saying that uh, boot camp would be in uh, Maxwell, uh, at Maxwell Air Force Base in Mo Montgomery, Alabama. So that was, uh, it just kind of That's, hit all at once. Is that before, is that before Lackland? So, cause that uh, was Lackland. Lackland. Or is that, is that, is that officers correct. at Maxwell? Yeah, Lackland is enlisted and then the officers go there to uh, Maxwell. Gosh. So briefly, what is an analytical scientist? So an analytical scientist is, is, uh, again, it's, it's based off of your degree. And so since I was in mathematics, they try to match you up with certain job types within the military that match your skill set. So analytical scientists is one of them. Sure. And there's different kinds of 
scientists, there's behavioral scientists, there's uh, biological and there's um, chemistry. So mine was analytical. And that basically means that the general bent of the job that I would be supporting would be analytical in nature. So, you know, I've worked on um, space in that, the space and missile system center. So a lot of conceptual um, assets and uh, uh, things that the Air Force might build in the future. And so, we, you know, we did a lot of testing on futuristic concepts and a lot of that was analytical in nature. Uh, and then later when I was in Texas at the Air Force Personnel Center, um, we analyzed a lot of the personnel within the military, you know, Give me an example. How so? How so? Um, just all the different groups within the military. So we have the, the dental corps. We have scientists like my own career field. Um, of course, we have the nurse yeah. corps. We have engineers. We have pilots. We have NAVs. So all of these groups and just doing all different sorts of analytical uh, studies on them and answering questions, making sure diversity issues are being addressed, uh, gender issues, making sure the promotion rates are um, in order, uh, looking at different kinds of experiences people have and uh, making sure that um, that those are translating into them getting opportunities and looking any, at any issues with any kind of career field. If people are falling behind for whatever reason or not finishing up their military education, uh, like they should. You're trying to figure out why yeah. and, and ways to, and ways to build them yeah. to make that happen. To, to basically optimize the force and address uh, um, people's attitudes in the military. You know, to keep people uh, interested in staying in the military. So retention is based on that. So there's just all kinds of issues that that pop up. Interesting. Is is that now? Did you analyze other services? Do does do the other services have similar? Did, did you run into any colleagues within you know inner service uh, or? No, not at the Air Force. Uh, interestingly enough, I do that at Rand. I mean, I'm still very much Air Force focused since that was where my expertise was. But here at Rand, now that I'm out of the military, um, Rand does have contracts with the other branches so it's not just air force they, they they have with army and navy and so there's there's some inter service data analysis that we do at times and then in those cases yes we would pull in other branches and look at different things that's that's really interesting that's an mos in the air force um so when you were in who was either a your best friend or uh, your best leader while you're in or the big, biggest mentor yeah, I don't think I have. I mean, I had several mentors when I first joined. Uh, um, I was first stationed at LA Air Force Base, and I, I remember, you know, being a new, fresh second lieutenant. Everything's just so new, and uh, we did have some uh, met mentorship programs there at LA Air Force Base, and it was really, it really had a positive impact as a second lieutenant. You know, just fresh in the military, just learning the life and figuring things out. And so I was assigned with um, to a major. Uh, major what? McNabb. McNabb. Okay. Yeah, and um, so the way that worked is we basically were paired off, and they would just spend time with you. You know, you'd go out to lunch, so you had somebody to bounce things off of, somebody ex more senior and experienced in the military, and just help you get acclimated. So I remember that being a really positive impact at that time. So that was really good. Um, as far as 
friends. Um, yeah, there, there was a couple really close relationships that I made when I first came in. There was a Mike Twasson. I remember we spent a lot of time together. Gotcha. Um, and the thing, the thing about the military life is, you know, you meet people and you become close and spend a lot of time. Then, of course, you know, you get shipped off to other locations, other duties. Sure. And it's very easy to get caught up on, um, you know, with your current life and other things going on. So it's it's been a little tough to stay in close contact with with a lot of my old friends. Sure. Plus, a lot of them have gotten married and, you know, kids and moved off, moved overseas. Uh, um, Life moves on. But it's funny when you do reconnect, it's almost like it's almost like a day hasn't passed. It's like no. Right. Yeah. It's like no, no time has passed. You, you, You have that military uh, experience in common and you're exactly right. It's, it's like no time has passed. So, so they're really great friendships. Exactly. So, um, you're talking about t- time passing. What prompted you to exit the service? Um, I was in, uh, San Antonio at the time stationed at Randolph air force base there at the AFPC air force personnel center. And they had some, um, they had some programs that they were actually targeting certain year groups and grades to help downsize the force. Mm. And so they had some different options and incentives if people wanted to, to uh, get out of the service. Gotcha. And so I took advantage of that. So I was interested in getting out, doing some different things uh, and just doing some, some other stuff that I wouldn't be able to do if I would have stayed in the military. Plus, you know, they say that once you reach over 10, 12 years, you know, you end up staying out. I mean, sorry, staying in, you end up staying in. Yeah. yeah Cause you're over the hump and you're like, you, yeah, because you're over the hump. And so I wasn't quite there. And so I was like, do I, do I get out or do I just try to jump into something else? And, you know, I've done this for a while. So gotcha. You, that's, that's how that worked. Yeah. You're talking someone to someone that was, had cleared the 10 year hump, but not quite the 12 year hump. So I was, I was, I understand. I can sympathize with that a little bit. Did you get out near DC? Cause, uh, you're, you got a master's from George Mason and you know, hold on before I let you answer that. I want to let the listeners know you got a master's in operations research and advanced mathematical applications to me, to me, <laughs> to me, that sounds like torture. Uh, what is that? And why would somebody want to torture themselves in that way? I know. Right. Well, so being in the military and, you know, as an analytical scientist, um, of course I had my bachelor's in mathematics, sure. uh, but I started working around, um, you know, very smart, brilliant people. And a lot of them had masters in, um, applied mathematics, which is basically operations research. It's just basically more advanced mathematical, uh, concepts, but, but very, um, app- like, applicable to real day situations, stuff that you would actually use. And so I was a lot, uh, around a lot of OR people, operations research. And so it it was very fitting for the kind of work that I do. And, uh, it was just logically the next step if I wanted to advance education. And that's one thing I have to say about the military, as you know, well, they, they very strongly affirm and encourage, um, education. Sure. And so just being around that and wanting to develop myself and and push the envelope and and just move further with uh, my skill set, grow on what I've already done. That was the the logical step. Sure. And so that's that's what I did. And uh, yeah, so it's basically applied mathematics. It's just more math. (laughs) 
(laughs) You know, it's almost like you're speaking another language to me that I, like I said, I have my video production, I mean, math from art to, to, to science. It seems like you're, you're very strong on the science side. I'm nowhere near that. I'm more in the art side. So, yeah. So let's speak what you, what you do today. Um, What do you do for Rand? And are there any current projects that, that you could share that you're excited about? Um, yes. So as I mentioned earlier, a lot of the stuff that I did in the military ended up translating nicely to the civilian world, mm. which was very fortunate for me because I've heard, I've heard, I've heard of stories of people in the military trying to get out and it's been difficult for them because they didn't really build any uh, specific skill sets. You know, like if you work in personnel or services or some of these more general career fields, it can be difficult to translate that into the civilian world. Sure. So I was a little more fortunate because the work that I actually did, you know, I learned different modeling and simulation tools, programming languages like SAS and Python and uh, STK and SOAP. You learned a lot of, you learned a lot of hard skill sets while you're in the military, not not just a lot of software stuff. So when I got out and applied for RAND, they were very eager uh, to grab me. Uh, plus, I had all my clearances that I got within the military. Yep. Um, and so it was just a good fit. And so um, now, what I do for Rand, pretty similar to what I did in the military. There, there's a lot of analytical uh, work that goes on with the uh, personnel for the Air Force, mostly for the Air Force. Still trying to wrap my head around what you do. So basically, you come up with a problem, you, you find a problem, and you're trying to solve it with a mathematical solution and trying to explain it with a mathematical solution? Correct. Like, so for example, one recent thing that I worked on is um, uh, as a captain, you need to complete uh, your required grade uh, developmental education for the military, and that's squadron officer school. And so, one of the things that the, the Air Force uh, was attempting is to streamline that program so that everybody as a captain can get their uh, squadron officer school in before they meet their major. Sure, board. sure. So there was some problems with certain um, career fields like the nurse corps and the medical science. And, uh, and so we worked on basically timing, like look at how many people in each career field uh, look at how many slots that um, Maxwell Air Force Base can funnel officers through as captains. We had to look at the time and grade because you you wanted captains to go that were about to meet their majors board as opposed to maybe new captains that just pinned on. Yeah. Uh, and so there was all these different elements that we had to look at the current population and trends, and the amount of um, uh, captains that that could be funneled through squadron officer school. And we ended up uh, suggesting, you know, they increase class sizes, maybe shortening it, um, look at different kind of mixes and matches and timing uh, in order to optimize that. So, so that's you're trying to, you're trying example. to streamline the funnels of some of the, some of the career fields. That's Correct. pretty cool. So like, so you're not, yeah. you know, for an example, for you're, you're hoping that captain, you're trying to, you're trying to help that captain that, you know, gets promoted that he doesn't have to sit at captain for, the rest of his career before he's forced out. You're trying to make sure he at least gets an opportunity to advance his career at some point. Correct. And yeah, uh, it's pretty cool. Com- completing your developmental education in the Air Force, I'm sure it's the same for the other branches, yep. is, is very important. So if you come up to your majors board and they're reviewing you and you know they're going to 
they, they see that you're not uh, getting the experiences and the education that you're required to do, then you can get passed over. Yeah. It's, it's like even a, more important as Lieutenant Colonel. Yeah. It's like, colonel. it's like a uh, going up for staff sergeant, you know, have you completed your staff Academy? Well, I never had a chance, exactly. never had an opportunity. You're trying to, yeah. you're trying to mitigate the situation, that situation. That's, that's a pretty exactly. cool, pretty cool gig. And that's really cool. Yeah. It, it is really interesting. I mean, it's very analytical in nature but but the work actually does funnel up all the way to the top of the uh air force and affect you know the commanders and policy changes that, that then just you know funnel out th- through the whole service and uh, have pretty wide impact so it's, it's it's really good to see that that that, that the work is pretty impactful yeah it's got to be pretty rewarding so on top of that uh see i know i didn't know you from this side at all I, all i knew you is when you came to my office one time all i knew you as was uh the ceo of your own company epic music la which is mm-hmm. a, a music licensing company um is this go, a way to go for you to go back to when your first loves music uh how did yeah. this get started you know yeah. Exactly. You know, you've mentioned a little bit about how the, the tediousness of, of math and analytical kind of focused work. Well, I think I really started to feel that a little bit when I was working on the master's uh, for operations research. You know, I was working, I was also doing the master's in, in very complex, uh, advanced uh, applied mathematics. And I did well, but, you know, it, it really started to get to a place where I was like, you know, I, I can do this well, but it's, it's, it's becoming a little burnout. very just burnout is, yeah. is, the, is, is the word. And so, um, I got to a point where I didn't really want to push anymore to learn a whole lot of new analytical stuff. And, and certain opportunities came along where just like you said, you know, like my first love music became another option uh, on the business side. And so that really sparked uh, probably a, a dormant passion that had just been sitting in me uh, since I had entered the military because I, I was very musically inclined. I, I, I gave piano performances and recitals when I was going to college because I stuck with that. But once I went in the military, you know, I just put it all, I, I put it all on the shelf just because, you know, it's military life's completely different. There wasn't really an outlet. I was traveling all around, I was doing different kind of temporary duties uh, and all different kinds of places like Vegas at Nellis Air Force Base or Albuquerque, New Mexico at Kirkland and just traveling all over. That's that's how it happened. There was opportunities that came across my path to launch this business in the music industry. And um, I was very surprised at how strong those passions were still in me. And they came out because now it, it gave me an opportunity to not only build a business, which I come from a very business-oriented family, sure. but also to have an outlet to be able to get uh, into music again and start uh, composing and writing and producing and then actually be able to do something with the music, you know, take the music and get it into a film or a TV show or some kind of advertising agency. So it, it, it was it, it was the best of both worlds coming together and uh, offering a pretty strong alternate path um other than what i had been doing for 10 15 years you know how did you how were you able to start it was it um was it grants was it through the sba was it uh private financing was it something through the va what what, what, how did all that start i looked into some of those options um so let me just back off so uh with the spark that that happened and it happened when i was in dc Basically, I had a friend that I knew uh, for many years. He was in 
LA actually when, when we spent a lot of time together. And uh, I moved on. He he moved on to Dallas, Texas, and we were just talking one day, and um, he told me about some of the work that he did when he was in LA for a couple of years, working at a licensing company called uh, Megatrax. They're 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 a pretty large one. I'm sure you've you've heard of them. Yep. Yep. Um, anyway, but he he was just a really outgoing, likable person, and he knew a lot of the composers, really well known successful and well-known in the industry uh, when he worked in LA for Megatrax. And so he had really strong relationships to actually um, reach out to them. And um, if we wanted to get them to start composing new music and writing music um, to uh, add to our library. So he, he, he brought the initial spark. And of course I had the business understanding experience. And so it was, it was the merging of, his experience and my experience and just where I was in life, where it all seemed to come together nicely. And that was the spark. Um, like I was talking to you before, I, I know some of the composers that, that are in Epic Music LA. So that was kind of like a big surprise to me when I did look at the business. Yeah. I mean, it was fortunate because if you're going to be successful in the industry, you have to have great music and you have to have the relationships to be able to start it. And it is a little difficult to start out with a new company because composers that are really good are not going to want to give their creative work, their music to uh, a new startup. You know, they, yeah, they, they want sure. somebody that's established and they can get their music into film and radio and TV and yeah. ad campaigns, et cetera, et cetera. So I was fortunate that my friend had these great relationships and, and they decided to jump in and, and work with us. And so that got us going to at least get a small catalog um, out there and start getting some exposure. So after so after the spark uh, and we started getting going and, of course, as you know, starting a business, all the expenses start piling up. It was at that point where I looked into those options that you mentioned. I looked at you know, SBA loans. I looked at um, possible investors. And I decided to just buckle down and finance it myself. I, I had some assets. I bought a home. And so I still had that and I just rented it out. Uh, I did something similar when I was in DC area. I bought a townhouse um, and ended up renting that out. So I had some assets to work with plus some saved resources. Um, and so I was able to take out some equity on some of the homes that I uh, owned and then also some saved resources. Wow. And I was able to finance it myself. I mean, it was tough. Uh, of course, I was working full time still at Rand Corporation. Uh, and um, so, yeah, it's been a long haul. But but one of the things I really wanted to do is not have outside influencers. Sure. So I was able to manage it. And I think that's a, probably a little bit more of a rare story just because I've talked to other music licensing companies out there and a lot of them started with huge investors, you know, that invested like a million dollars, you know, to, to get everything off the ground. It's probably taken me much longer uh, to get to where the business is now. Um, but it's, it's, it's fallen together. In fact, one of the main reasons why I moved from the DC RAN location to the Santa Monica RAN location is uh, a is because of the business you know, being in LA has sure. really, really helped give an advantage to go out and meet people and meet the music supervisors, go and have meetings at CBS and Sony and uh, Time Warner and uh, all these other places that are just all over LA. It's such a big hotspot for 
the entertainment and music industry. So it's really helped give an advantage. Sounds like you're doing an entrepreneur thing through and through. Uh, getting this this company off the ground. Um, what is one? What's a, what's a what's a, what's a funny story that you could share with maybe some of our listener, listeners, or a story or a story that's unique to what you do? Nothing uh, really funny comes to mind right now. I mean, I, I think it's it's been very um, it's been very difficult, and so I think part of what I've learned just through it is just um, you know dedication and consistency and just really keeping the vision of what you want out in front of you and uh, just staying sure. focused. I mean, you, you have to sacrifice a lot of things that you want to do. You know, friends want to go out and different events that you would love to go spend your weekend on, but you know, you just can't do it because if this is going to get done and things are gonna move, if this is going to get done and things are going to move forward, then you just have to be the one to do it. So there's been a lot of, um, you know, very kind of gut wrenching, uh, self, you know, pull yourself up by the bootstraps and, and, and stay focused and, and, and make sure that you do what needs to get done to move things forward. Gotcha. What is one thing that you learn that you learned in service that you apply to what you do today? Um, well, I think probably along those lines of, uh, just strong, discipline and uh focus in what you're you're doing and then also teamwork you know i mean one of the main focuses mm -hmm. of being an officer is they train you to be a leader and leading with the right style you know not, not as a dictator you know I, I remember one of the things i learned uh one of the, the military education was you know in order to be a great leader you got to be you, you have to be you have to be able to be a good follower as well and so sure. I think a lot of those skills uh, translated in, into the uh, entrepreneur uh, initiative that I did. So I pulled different people in and uh, we've been able to get things going and just working as a tight knit team. Um, so, mm -hmm. yeah, it's been a fun ride. We've, we've met a lot of different people in the industry and uh, gotten through a lot of doors that a lot of other people have hard times getting in. So it's just been an exciting, uh, hard, but uh, um, very successful um, initiative. So, I mean, I think over the last year and a half, we've really seen things taken off. So that's been that's been very rewarding to see after all these years of. Gotcha. What, when when what's the thing that you see that you that rewards that you immediately see you go? Oh, that's something I wish I could did I could do and then you finally do it did it was it like hearing your music on a commercial for the first time or a movie or yeah so, so like we, we've been like, getting some music placed uh, pretty frequently over the last uh, probably over the last two years um, but I would say over the last year it's really picked up and that's been really rewarding to see because we put a lot of effort into getting into different places, different TV networks like CBS. And we just recently did a deal a few weeks ago with CBS and signed an agreement with them. And so that was really exciting as well because, you know, we've been trying to get into certain places and we, we've had. Oh, I, I know you're a hustler, man. I, I I've seen you work that. <laughs> well, thank you. Yeah. So I mean, it's good. I'm excited to see where we're going. Stuff is really really started to increase exponentially. And so I think there really was a strong pushing through time. And it's just really exciting to see that finally breaking through because now it's it's really starting to snowball. 
Um, do you have any advice for any future veteran entrepreneurs that are looking in, into getting into any sort of business or into the film business? Uh, you know, what, what advice would you have to those people that are getting into either one of those? Uh, I think probably if I, if I, if I boiled it down to think about what really kept me motivated, um, was number one, you do have to have, um, and, and I, I credit the military for a lot of this, but you do have to have somewhat of a militaristic discipline and, and um, drive to be able to do the grunt work and, and keep pressing forward. So that would be one pillar. The other one would, that, that really kept me going was you have to have a strong passion for what you're interested in um, and, and a strong vision that, that you stir and you keep you have to make an effort to keep it alive in you because when things get hard and you don't see things moving as quickly as possible, if you don't watch yourself, it's easy to uh, let that slip in you and you can start to lose steam and, and focus. So it, it really does take a conscious effort um, to keep that vision alive and, um, and do the hard work. And if you're passionate about it and you're willing to keep pushing, you can get to a place where stuff starts to finally fall in place. So that would be my advice. And that's, that's what's, uh, that's what's been successful for me. Okay. Perry, uh, this is the part that we, we talk, uh, we, we go, we give you that cheap plug, man. Where can people find you? Where can people find what you're doing? How can they follow, uh, Epic music LA? How can they find out what, what that business is all about? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for that. Uh, we do have a website at www.epicmusicla.com, which will give all kinds of information on what we do and who, who we're working with and about our team and different initiatives that are going on. Um, and then of course, you know, we, we, we're out there on social media, Facebook and Instagram. We are based here in LA. Um, and so uh, we're in the Westwood area. If anybody's local, they can always email or hit us up if they want to meet, you know, we're always looking to meet new composers and uh, uh, obviously anybody that has something to do with needing music to talk to them Absolutely. Well. If, if, if you look at our archives, we have some uh, veteran composers. We have some veteran uh, artists. You know, you never know what you find. That, oh, yeah, you know nice. what you find there. So what is the what is this uh, legacy project that you guys are doing? Oh, so, yeah. So we uh, launched a new initiative. Um, this is aside from Epic. It's, it's with the, it's with another partner, sister company of ours, and it's called the Legacy Music Project. And basically what it is, is, is we have some relationships with composers and writers that worked that either worked with or are the individuals that had um, a lot of success. And so what we're doing is we're curating a lot of authentic content um, from the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, uh, real authentic retro music. And, um, and there's a high demand for that. But, but the people that, we, that we're trying to work with are those people that were successful in the past, uh, back in the sixties, seventies, eighties, have a lot of content that they were involved in, or maybe have a lot of music just sitting on the shelf now. And now they've moved on. They're older. Maybe they don't tour anymore. Maybe they're not out like they once were, but they have a lot of great, great retro music sitting on the shelf that, that it, never that been it hasn't been listened to, or they don't have the time where the band would oh, wow. really push it. And so we built this network with uh, a lot of TV networks, music supervisors, uh, ad agencies that are really, really interested in uh, this library of music because it's not just people of today writing, you know, 
a 70s sounding tune. It's actually music that was written back in the past. And they are just very eager to get their hands on it. And so we're about to launch it. We have a lot of great content. But what you told me about these veteran composers could be really good candidates for what we're working on. You know, we could give them some great opportunity. I don't know if they have music just sitting there. So let me, let me, you know, stop you and, and let me tell you about Operation Song. So Operation Song is out in Nashville. It kind of, it's kind of somewhere where you're talking about. It's these retired songwriters from, and they've written for Who's Who and Country Music. You know, Garth Brooks, Trish Yearwood, George Strait, and they've uh, they've now set up a nonprofit where they're partnering with veterans, partnering with the VA, partnering with veterans, doing retreats, and they're bringing them into like Sony Music Recording Studios, ASCAP, into these writing rooms, writing a song for them. And one day, the next day, they record a song at Sony Music Recording Studio. And then the third day, they'll they'll play it for them. Um, it just sounds like it's something that awesome. is almost similar yeah. to what you're doing. That's yeah. so fascinating. I mean, the amount of talent that that is being pooled to create that content. I'd be very interested in uh, hearing the final the final pr- production. Even being able to put a link on our site and uh, just giving it some some visi- visibility. Absolutely. After the after the show, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll put both in the show notes if you have a link to what you're doing, and I'll put a link to what uh, Bob Regan is doing, and I'll put you, I'll put you in touch with Bob Regan, and maybe you guys can actually collaborate and do something. That'd, That'd be, be really cool. cool. Very nice. You know, I mean, well, I've actually had in the back of my mind at some point when I have some time to maybe look along the lines of, of being able to really cater towards veterans, you know, veteran composers, maybe trying to carve out you know, certain opportunities that we're getting more and more of. To really help the veterans and get them plugged in and, and opportunities, you know, I'd love to do something. A way to give back, maybe someday. Cool. Yeah, absolutely. If they need a home, they can get a home loan. If they need education, they can get education. If they were hurt in service, we pay compensation. If you weren't hurt in service but you fell on hard times, we give you pension. There's just an array of benefits out there for veterans, and we really want to just make sure that all the veterans know what's out there. Choose VA today. For more information, visit va.gov or call 1-855-948-2311. Perry is, again, one smart dude. Uh, So in addition to CBS, they recently signed a huge deal with the NHL and MLB Network. So congratulations to Perry on his recent music licensing signing. And you can find him and what he's doing with that business at epicmusicla.com. All right, this week's Born of the Battle event of the week is New York National Guard veteran Dr. Richard Pinkster. Following the events of 9-11, 56-year-old Dr. Richard Pinkster left his position as the International Residency Program Director at Jamaica Hospital in Queens, New York, to join the New York Army National Guard. Having extensive prior experience in medicine, Pinkster was tasked with supervising medical care for over 12,000 soldiers, conducted period health assessments, and fit-for-duty physicals for the New York National Guard. In addition to his standard duties, he often volunteered for additional assignments and disaster readiness training programs at Floyd Bennett Field in Brooklyn. In 2006, Pinkster began working at Camp Smith and in Staten Island, where he was responsible for ensuring the medical welfare of 12,000 National Guard soldiers. He also began tenure as a medical review officer for the Joint Substance Abuse Program. For his excellent work in this field over a sustained period of time, he was awarded the Meritorious Service Medal from the New York Army National Guard Medical Command. 
In June 2006, following extensive floating in and around Binghamton, New York, Pinkster volunteered to serve with the New York Army National Guard's 204th Engineer Battalion in support of the disaster relief operations. There, he treated civilians and soldiers suffering from Lyme disease, which became endemic to the region following the floods. In 2007, at the age of 61, at 61, Pinkster volunteered to deploy to Iraq in support of Operation Iraqi Freedom, where he was assigned to the 213th Area Support Medical Company as the senior physician at Contingency Operating Base Adder Troop Medical Clinic. He provided routine emergency medical care to over 1,600 soldiers, local nationals, and civilian contractors. In addition, Pinkster was able to train other medics. In recognition for his service, he was awarded his first Army Commendation Medal. In 2010, at the age of 64, 64 people, Pinkster volunteered for a second deployment in support of Operation Iraqi Freedom. At Contingency Operating Base Bucca, I hope that's how you say it, he served as the senior medical provider and physician for the 204th Area Support Medical Company, conducting split-based operations. In addition, he served as the theater consultant for endocrinology, proving providing medical care for over 2,000 coalition forces, civilian contractors, and third country nationals in and around COB Bucca. In recognition for his service during the deployment, he was awarded with his second Army Commendation Medal. Dr. Richard Pinkster retired at the rank of Colonel. Thank you for your service, Richard. That's it for this week's episode. You can follow the VA on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, uh, RallyPoint, pretty much any social media. You can always find us with that blue check mark. Thank you again for listening, and we will see you next week.